In this episode, I'll discuss the six essential gymnastic abilities. Now, these are the skills that live inside all the movements of dressage as you go up the levels. But what's nice is that you can master the abilities starting much earlier than you think. And that way, when the harder, more physically demanding versions come up, you and your horse are ready. So here we go, episode 127, six essential gymnastic abilities. Hi, I'm Karen Rolfe, and welcome to Horse Training in Harmony. This podcast is about you making progress with your horse in a way that you both can love. It's about learning how to move and be in harmony. Because yes, you really can develop a horse to be both athletic and happy. When we show up as our best selves for our horses, our horses will show up for us. So let's get started. When I sat down to uh, do a podcast this week, I kept thinking to myself, have I really not talked about the six essential gymnastic abilities yet? I mean, I, I think I have mentioned them in inside maybe some other episodes, um, but they're important enough. <laughs> I really think I should highlight them now. And I know the last few podcasts have been a little bit mindset-y and stuff like that. So I thought, all right, let's give them some stuff. <laughs> let's give them some actual things that you can go think about doing with your horse. So these six essential gymnastic abilities are something that, um, that's my term for them. If you Google that, you'll probably circle right back to me uh, because I haven't heard them described quite like this. And the way I um, came up with them like this is when I was thinking about creating the, the course that comes after the Sweet Spot of Healthy Biomechanics course, the next logical step is now to look at gymnastic development of the horse. And I always like to think about, well, what, what information is out there readily available for everybody? And what's missing? Like, what's the piece that people aren't getting? Or what's the, the information that's not out there? Or even more importantly, like how, what's needed as far as how to explain this stuff to people so that they really get it and they get a chance to practice it more effectively. And that's what I'm really interested in. It's like, you can go look up all the dressage movements. They're written down in lots of places, but the trouble is sometimes they're hard to learn in that manner. So I'm always trying to figure out how can I explain this? How can I teach it? How can I help you guys like really get it? The upward spiral of successful gymnastics course, which is the one after the sweet spot course. Um, I definitely talk about the theories of gymnastic development and we go through, you know, I make a chart of all the different dressage movements and where they fit in and when is it, you know, what sort of level of movement is it so that you can understand it there. But I wanted to distill it down and go, okay, I know that when I'm training a horse, there's certain skills that when I know that they have those particular skills, I kind of go, oh, I know we can do it. <laughs> like, all right, this is an educated horse. The rest is just physical development, coordination. You know, can their minds handle the, the more demanding stuff? 
And then I also realized with students, the same thing. Like, all right, if this student has this little skill set, no matter what level they're at, if they have these particular skills, then I know the rest is just time and focus and dedication and education, right? So I thought to myself, well, what exactly are those skills? Because it's sort of a feeling that you get. And I know other trainers can relate to this. Uh, It's that feeling you've got a young horse or a green horse and you're starting to develop them for dressage. And at some point you go, oh my gosh, I think this is going to like work. I think they can go up the levels. So that's what I was focusing on when I came up with these gymnastic abilities. And, you know, they're not the only gymnastic abilities, but I think they're a pretty good list. And, you know, keep in mind, this is a model. And uh, as a behaviorist, Mark Um, Bowden says, he's like, it's just a model. All models are wrong, but some of them are very helpful. So hopefully this will be a helpful model. So most people I found focus on movements instead of skills or ability. And I like to focus on teaching the skill inside the movement. So when the more demanding higher level movements come up, you're ready for them. For example, the way you ride a walk, trot, walk transition on your young horse can set you up for an easier pee off off later or not depending. And if you ride a haunches in, not just to get the movement done, but to gain a particular skill, even if you're doing it just at the walk, it's going to set you up for more advanced movements like canter pirouettes later. So don't underestimate how sophisticated you and your horse's abilities can be much earlier than you think. So get sophisticated now, even if you're just doing it at the walk. And then later, you can add the, the more physically demanding aspect to it. All right, so let's, let's dive in. So what are the six essential gymnastic abilities? So the first one is to be able to differentiate betra- between riding circles and corners. The second ability, and we'll go through these, I promise, is to be able to release into up transitions. The third is to be able to ride forward into down transitions. The next one is to be able to bend and maintain bend without relying on your inside rein. The fifth one is to be able to connect the horse's inside hind leg to their outside shoulder. And we'll we'll go into this. And then the sixth one is to be able to ride the horse into the bend or towards the bend. All right, so let's go through these one at a time. So there's a difference between how you ride your horse if you're doing a corner versus a part of a versus a circle. And now some of you are saying, but wait a minute, Karen, when you ride a dressage test, I've heard ride the corner like it's part of a 10 meter circle or, you know, whatever size circle. Yes. (laughs) So yes, this is true. Circles and corners are really related. And that's why I put them in as one skill. So even though it's two, you could say, hey, it's riding circles, riding corners. 
but I put it as one skill set because it's the skill of understanding the difference between them. And for some horses, in order to ride a nice circle, in order to end up with a circle, you actually have to feel like you're riding corners. And sometimes to negotiate a corner more smoothly and with balance, you have to ride it a little more like a circle. So in order to be able to do those things, you have to know the difference between them. So in a corner, it's more of a clear turn with just a few strides. So you're straight before the turn and you're straight after the turn. Straight line, turn, turn, straight line. And there's a clear moment of bend, a bend, bending in the turn, right? So if you picture a horse in a narrow hallway and then they have to turn the corner, in order to negotiate that corner without you knocking your knee <laughs> on the inside corner or turning like a bus, right? We have to swing wide in front and then the hind end cuts the corner. You don't wanna turn like that. You wanna execute a corner then the horse needs to be able to bend for just a moment. So it's like straight, bend straight, or more more like straight, um, turn through bending and then straight again. <laughs> All right, so that's a very particular skill. It's a very conscious thing you would ask your horse to do. And a, a circle is different than that, right? So the circle is round. A circle starts and ends in the same place, or it's not a circle. It has a definite size. It's a this meter circle or a that meter circle. And there's a sp special skill set for being able to negotiate that circle smoothly where you can set the balance up so every stride stays the same. And so again, to some, t some horses, in order to end up with a circle, you can't ride a circle. You actually have to feel like you're riding a whole bunch of partial corners or what I'll, I'll tell people, ride it like it's an octagon, right? So it's straight turn, straight turn, straight turn. Those That's really good for horses who tend to like bulge and leak out, um, leak out through their outside shoulder or something like that. But there's other horses who come into the corner and they fling themselves around, right? They just like swivel their hind end out or they throw their shoulders to the inside. They're trying to ride it more like a, you know, it's like a corner, but then <laughs> too much. And for those horses, you want to smooth out the corner and be able to have a more arced, smooth line. And so again, so that skill set is going to come in handy every time you make a corner, every time you make a circle, every time you have to turn onto center line, like all the time, <laughs> all the time. And so to be able to, to understand those two different ways of turning and master them. And you can master these at the walk on a very green horse, very green. So don't wait until, you know, sometimes we think, oh, in first level and training level, if you have a big moving horse, they don't really expect you to go in the corners, right? They kind of, you have to kind of cut the corners and it's sometimes really hard to tell the difference between um, a a short side that's ridden like a 20 meter circle or a short side that's ridden like straight corner, straight corner. And that's the reality if you're on a big moving horse. However, just because 
we kind of forgive big moving horses at training level. You know, the lower levels don't have to go deep in the corner like you would expect a Grand Prix horse to go. But don't wait until you're in the upper levels to ride a deep corner like that. So this is actually connected to a very foundational thing I do with my horses from the first rides. Trot down the long side, stop in the corner, do a yield. Trot down the short side, stop in the corner, do a yield to turn. I'm already setting them up to understand the idea of corners separate from circles. So those are, you know, I'll do with young horses, I'll do that corner to corner exercise and I'll do um, set up cones to mark my circle and and play with them hooking on mentally to the circle until it flows like a circle. So it seems really basic, seems very foundational. Maybe some of you are already doing both of those things. But to, to think to yourself, not just, oh, this is what we do for young horses. You're thinking, I'm already working on my Grand Prix corners. I'm already playing with my, my fluid circles so that I can do the upper level things later. All right. So the second skill is releasing into up transitions. So what do I mean by that? Now, first of all, an up transition could be to a higher gait, meaning going from a halt to a walk, a walk to a trot, a trot to a canter, or it could be um, transitions within a gate, from um, piaf to collected trot, from working trot to a lengthened trot, something like that. So within a gate, changing the length of the stride. And you wanna feel like those up transitions are a release of potential energy. So like a coiled spring, right? So the coiled spring analogy is so beautiful because it takes work to coil the spring, but it takes releasing, it should take almost no work to um, release the spring and have it spring forward, right? You just sort of let go of the holding and it does the thing. So you want your horse to feel ready and waiting. So that's the tricky part with horses. You don't want to feel like, ah, I'm holding it and I'm holding it and then I release and blah, it goes running off because we, we also want them with us even on a loose rein. So it's that ready and waiting state that allows us to go, you know, are you ready for a trot? And you feel that trot in there waiting to happen and your horse is just waiting for you to say when to do it. And then you release that or you start that trot motion and they're already right there for you. So in general, you don't want to have to create an up transition by adding aids in that moment. The reality is often we do. <laughs> but again, if you know, if you're practicing your walk to trot or your trot to canter transitions and you have to put a fair amount of leg on every time, but you're kind of a lower level rider, that's not so bad. But I'm always thinking forward, thinking, well, if this is what I have to ask, if this is how strongly I have to ask just to get a trot canter transition, like what am I going to have to do when I need a canter pirouette? Right? You don't want to get into this thing of like easy stuff takes a lot of aids because there's harder stuff later. <laughs> you know, plus you always want things as light as possible so you can sit as, as easily with ease and in a relaxed way so the horse can carry you more easily. 
So you definitely want to practice this idea of ready. It's going to be an up transition. Are you ready now? And then your horse is like, great, I've been ready since you first mentioned it. (laughs) So just practicing that. And I've got videos in the classroom with transitions where I'm riding a horse and I'm actually talking through this in real time as I'm preparing for transitions because it's very much uh, an inner game, right? It's potential energy that we're trying to build up. Building up that potential energy so they're ready to go when we tell them, but they're not we're not so much that we're having to hold them in with force because they're trying to run away all the time. It's this really cool moment where they are ready and waiting. Okay. The next one is to ride forward into down transitions. So transitions to a lower gait, canter to trot, trot to walk, walk to halt, or coming back from lengthenings. This is the coiling the spring moment. So it actually requires increased engagement in order to maintain the balance, right? It, you coil the spring, it, that's where the hard work comes in. Not that this should feel like hard work, but biomechanically, this is where they have to carry again, right? Or hopefully they're still carrying even after they lengthen or while they're lengthening, but it takes a little more effort to collect. So... Um, the bigger the difference between the gates, the greater the engagement is required, right? So it takes more engagement to go from canter to walk compared to canter to trot. And when I think about riding forward to down transitions, there might be some of you who will be like, but Karen, when my horse goes from canter to trot, he just like plops and runs forward. Like, I don't want to I'm already going forward. It doesn't feel good. So that's not what I mean by riding forward into the down transition. Like picture, a lot of times people picture a down transition or a a lower gait as less than, right? The lengthening is big and then we want less. So we kind of go, ho, (laughs) or we're thinking, whoa, come back. Or we think of a canter is higher energy than a trot. So we tend to think, whoa, a little bit as we come down a gate and then whoa, even more. But what you, what you want to think about is the engagement. So when I think ride forward into down transitions, I'm thinking ride the hind feet forward. So they stay engaged and the horse stays organized and balanced. So that horse that's um, plopping, like the, it's the horses that feel like they fall off the curb when you go down to the, the canter to trot and they kind of like fall off the curb. They take this huge stride forward. What well, feels huge because their hind end is way off behind them and their hind end is not thinking forward. They're just falling. So I don't mean forward of like the gravity ball rolling down a hill feeling that's the forward of the spring coiling and the spring gets coiled by the back end pushing up into the front end if that's that's the picture that works for me so the idea when you're riding a down transition is can you think of starting to ride the new gate instead of thinking of stopping the gate that you're in so it's not whoa come back from canter to trot 
It's can you prepare and start riding forward into the trot. And so if you can't do that, because when you come down from the canner, they go canner, canner, plop, er, hit the brakes, oh, keep going, and then they're in the trot. So that's a good example of, um, of a horse not thinking forward as they go, you know, because you're thinking too much, you and the horse are thinking too much, whoa. But also thinking forward or lack of thinking forward might be they go canner, canner, fall (laughs) into it. So either way, you want to think about starting to ride your best new gait, even if it's down. And it's so counterintuitive. And it's sometimes your body will almost refuse to do this. It's like you have to tell yourself, think forward as I'm coming down a gate. So that's why I love exercises um, such as um, from the canter. And then as soon as you hit the trot, I'm I'm thinking, what am I doing next? So it's like I might go canter, trot, leg yield, or canter, trot, shoulder in, or canter, trot, circle, because it snaps my brain into thinking, what am I doing? Where am I going? What do I need my horse to feel like? And especially going like canter to Um, small circle or shoulder in because you have to actually ask for those hind legs to come under. And it's such an important skill. This skill, (laughs) if I had to pick one, like figure out how to ride forward into down transitions. It's also going to make you realize like, well, if my horse is running off into the down transition and I feel like I can't possibly like put my leg on or ask for energy or think forward because they're already taking off, it's going to make you solve that puzzle because they have to be kind of waiting for you already, but not too much. (laughs) All right. So I think the biggest piece of advice is think of what you're going to do in the new, in the new gate. What are you going to like do something when you get from the trot to the walk, do something at the walk. If you're going canter to trot, do something at the trot. So you get that feeling of going forward. But like I, I can, some horses, when you're coming off of like an extended trot or something and they see the corner coming up and they start to back off. And then if they back off, what happens is the back legs back off. Now you've got a really long horse and then you got the corner and they're going to try to like dive or pop a shoulder or just go splat. So, but it's, <laughs> it's really counterintuitive. Sometimes you're coming down that extension and you're heading for the diet, you know, the corner and you feel your horse just back off, but they still feel big and they might even accelerate if they lose their balance on the forehand. And you have to like make myself add my leg or make myself just touch the hind end with the stick. And sometimes it's just a touch, just the touch alone is enough because it, it ensures that I'm thinking of their hind legs. I'm not thinking, whoa, come back. I'm thinking step up into it. So anyway, this is a huge one. You can practice this at the walk to halt transition. You don't have to wait till you're doing canter extensions. You can practice riding forward into the down transitions from walk to halt. And it's a really important one and it's not an easy one to do, I find. So master it now. And then later when it's a a harder version of it, like, extended canter to canter pirouette (laughs) it's the same skill exactly the same skill to go from a canter to uh, canter pirouette canter you've got to 
ride them down a gate smaller, not down a, not down a gate, do a transition down within the gate. They're getting smaller, more collected, but they have to be energetic. They can't slack. They can't let their hind end back off. All right. I think I've emphasized that <laughs> enough. <laughs> Practice riding forward into your down transitions. Okay. So the fourth one is uh, this, the ability to maintain bend with no inside rein. And this is for you and it's also for your horse. So it's a skill for the rider and it's a natural, re- natural result of a horse that's balanced and flexible in his bend. So in the beginning, I think about bend being alignment on a circle, but as the horse advances and as you get more comfortable with what that bend feels like, you should be able to recreate it at any time independent of a circle. You could bend right on a circle left or on a straight line or anytime you want, you can create this bend. And the skills of the rider need to advance in order to ride that bend anywhere, anytime without coming against the horse. And that ability to be soft on the inside rein is both an ingredient of this, but it's also proof of the ability of the bend. So if you and your horse are relying on the inside rein to maintain bend, it's a red flag and it's gonna come back to bite you in the butt later, I promise. So you might think, oh, it's just a 20 meter circle. It's okay, I'll just do a little sneaky, sneaky pinky feel of of that inside rein. you know, it doesn't look too bad. We've got our understanding worked out, but as you know, later, as you start doing things like counter changes of hand in the half pass, like you just want that to be clear. You, there's no, if they're leaning or depending on the inside rein, well, guess what? It's about to become the outside rein. You got to go back and forth and you're cheating yourself of having the horse find that skill of finding the bend and being so balanced in the bend that they don't need the inside rein. And it's not like a mechanical thing. If you have your reins equal, equal length on a straight horse, and then you create bend, but don't change anything with your hands or the reins, the inside rein will become loose, right? Because now that inside of them is shorter. That's just what bend does, right? The outside of the curve is a longer distance than the inside of the curve. So if your reins are equal, and you're creating bend in your bodies where it needs to happen and you don't move your hands, the inside rein will become loose. So if it's not loose, it means that you're manufacturing it or you're holding it together or the body's not really bent or something's going wrong. So it's a, it's one of those little test points that if you're riding around and, you're, and you can't let that inside rein float, you've got to ask yourself why. And the best way to figure out why is to let go of it and see what happens. (laughs) Whatever fell apart, that's what you need to work on. So this, again, it's a skill you can develop at the walk and you can play with this and you can go really deep into this and be able to maintain and sustain a bend on a circle. I would start it on a circle. Bend is alignment on the circle. So practice it first on the circle. It's the easiest circumstance and just check. That's one of the checkpoints. Can I be soft on the inside rein? Does the inside rein float? Does it not touch the horse's neck? All right, so that's been with it with no inside rein. Um, also, not that easy to do. 
uh, especially often on one hand more than the other hand. It's one of the great mysteries of the universe, how you can have your reins adjusted perfectly. And then two seconds later, you look down and like, why is my inside rein crossing over the neck? (laughs) Like, how is that short? And my outside rein is flopping in the breeze. So if, if you're bending your horse and you have pressure on the inside and the outside rein is flopping and and even worse if your inside hand is kind of coming over to midline that's a red flag like and it's and it's important it's hugely important because um as movements go up higher and require more balance in the bend like i said counter changes a hand in the half pass if you're not able to sustain a 20 meter circle free of that inside rein then um, you're only going to make a harder movement harder later. So all of this is about taking the easy, taking these skills and mastering them in the easiest circumstance so that you have some mastery for it. So later when it's actually physically demanding and complicated and demands higher level coordination, like you're not just figuring that stuff out now. Make it feel that important. Your 10 meter circle or 15 meter circle walking with your horse who's green and maybe you don't even have a canter yet. If you can master this, you gained a really important skill that you will use a lot later. Okay, the fifth one, the fifth essential gymnastic ability, according to me, (laughs) is to be able to connect the inside hind leg to the outside shoulder. Some of you have heard inside leg to outside rein. Okay, well, that's a set of aids. What are those aids supposed to do? They're supposed to connect the inside hind to the outside shoulder. And that's why I rarely teach by listing aids to use, because if you just put aids on and you don't know what they're supposed to do, you're just gonna be putting aids on. So you wanna establish and feel that there's a connection between the inside hind leg and the outside shoulder. This is a dynamic that lives inside so many movements, right? It's shoulder in concept, right? And shoulder in is the mother of all gymnastic exercises, according to some. It's a really important one. (laughs) It's like medicine, right? Sometimes it's not so fun to to start to learn, but when when you have it, it can cure a lot of things. This dynamic is key to engaging the horse and lightening the shoulders. This dynamic is exemplified by the shoulder in, but it can be felt within many movements from basic ones such as circles and even corners, hindquarter yields in motion, leg yields, for example, but as well as within advanced movements like half passes and pirouettes and flying changes and turns, you know, every time you turn a corner. So since this is a dynamic that lives within many different movements, rather than a unique movement, the criteria and the essence will apply to kind of any movement where this dynamic is happening, right? So it's this feeling of, I can feel the hind, inside hind leg under my seat and it's energetically connecting to the outside shoulder. And that you can engage the hind leg without losing the shoulder. You can have the shoulder without the hind end um, 
lagging behind. So it's a very particular dynamic. You know, you can think of it as just shoulder in, but again, because even if you're not in a shoulder in, this dynamic applies inside a circle, inside a half pass even, there's a dynamic of inside hind to outside shoulder, inside a half pass, pirouettes. So that's why I pulled it out because otherwise it's like, oh yeah, I can do inside hind to outside shoulder if I'm doing a shoulder in, but it it's happening more times than that. So you wanna be able to do that. Can I feel the inside hind leg under my seat? And can I capture it or at least not let it leak out through that outside shoulder? And that's where we end up with engagement that lightens and frees the shoulder. It's not just engagement, it's engagement that lightens and frees the shoulders. Hey everyone, a quick message to let you know about a really exciting limited time opportunity for learning at no extra cost. So now you've heard me rave about the video classroom. It's my video training library, and it's where you go to see this podcast in action with videos on pretty much everything that I teach. But for May, June, and July, we are going to be doing extra monthly live Q&A calls, and anyone who's in the classroom gets to attend at no extra cost. We've never offered this before, so it's a pretty cool opportunity. So this is such a great time to be able to speak with a real person, to get your questions answered, either about a particular video that you watched or a challenge that you're having with your horse. Now the video classroom, I think, is always the best deal. And for May, June, and July, it is going to be amazing. So go to dressagenaturally.net slash classroom and start your subscription today. There's always a one week free trial to check it out. Again, dressagenaturally.net slash classroom. Okay, now back to the pod. Okay, and that's it. Nope, only kidding. We have one more. So number six, riding the horse into the bend. And that is um, otherwise known as things like haunches in rombears, half pass. Biomechanically, those things are all the same. But it it really feels like a significantly different skill set. And for some horses, it seems easier to do a haunches in than a shoulder in. But often, often that's because uh because horses weight is sort of naturally on the forehand, some horses will do a haunches in or kind of go into the movement that looks like haunches in because they're putting their weight on the forehand and then their hind end swivels around really easily. (laughs) And sometimes the horses that are really easy to do haunches in with end up being hard to do shoulder in with because they're a little extra on the forehand. And when you ask for the shoulder in, they're like, oh, nope, that's the thing I've been avoiding. So the tricky thing with haunches in often is to do it in a way that really does engage the horse. It's possible to do a haunches in by the horse being on the forehand, where a horse on the forehand, you know, you can't, 
do the shoulder in easily. You, you have to lighten. <laughs> Lightening the shoulders is part of getting the shoulder in to even happen. But you can kind of do a faker haunches in when the horse is on the on the forehand. So in general, shoulder in will create engagement more easily than a haunches in will. The tricky part is to keep the engagement inside the haunches in. However, if you can do it, whoa, is that a powerful skill? And I put that one, this one as number six, because I think it can be really the trickiest one. And I've seen so many people get tangled up in knots trying to do that. And I put it after the connecting inside hind to outside shoulder, because we want to make sure we have the skill of engagement before we attempt to ride into the bend. So um, there's lots of different ways to, you know, exercises to do to develop the skill of haunches in. I go through them in the course. There's some in the classroom. Um, but we, we really want to make sure before you do this one that you're really good at bending without inside rein and connecting the inside hind to the outside shoulder. And that way you can... Um, make sure you keep keep the engagement part of it. Because often what the horses need to be able to be engaged inside the haunches in is to be able to still ride the connection of the inside hind to the outside shoulder, even though you're in a haunches in. And I know that might be just, <laughs> some of you will know what I'm talking about. And if the rest is just kind of words and you're like, what the heck is she talking about? Then don't worry you know, maybe it's not time for you to do it yet. Or you can look in the classroom and see some um, videos where I really go into more detail of how to do it. But I don't want to get bogged down in the exactly how to do all these things. I think giving you the list of these is going to be, I think, I hope, um, super, super helpful. Um, and again, find a way to practice these before you're doing all the fancy stuff. So when when I have students go into the upward spiral course, so, you know, some of them have come through the sweet spot course and maybe they have a sweet spot at the walk and the trot and for some reason the canter work is lagging behind or something like that. And I'll encourage them to go on. Like if you have a good walk and you've got the concept of the sweet spot, you're just going to take a little bit of time to have it at the canter, you can go ahead and start understanding, practicing, and then mastering some of these abilities because maybe what you work out by differentiating between a circle and a corner and practicing being able to go straight, turn, turn, straight, and be able to get the bend and then straighten again and straighten and then bend and straighten and be able to negotiate those corners and be really sophisticated about being able to ride your circles with no inside rein, even if it's just at the walk, that might be the piece that you need to make a breakthrough in your canter. So I'm a big proponent of whatever's working, progress there. And if there's some piece that you're playing with that's not working, well, then hold that one back. So you don't have to, you can mix and match. Like you could have a horse who's who's pee-offing, but you don't have your flying change yet. You know, even though if you look at the dressage tests, 
you know, you think, oh, well, they, they need to learn flying changes before PIAF because PIAF doesn't come until way at the end. And I kind of think the other way around. You know, you start at the beginning of everything, but if something's working, go ahead and progress that gate. You know, if and go ahead and if you've got a good walk, like go ahead and start learning all the lateral work at the walk while you're waiting for your trot to catch up. So I hope that helps. It's a little bit different way of approaching, you know, dressage movements or doing dressage, especially if you look at the tests and look at the levels and you go, okay, I'm a first level rider, so I'm only allowed to do these movements. And that might not be the case. So the movements are really good um, tests, right? They're it's a test. <laughs> it's like, can you do this? But you can go ahead and, and start learning more of the skills and uh, and allow yourself to master and get very sophisticated on very precise things. And that's why I pulled these six things out because I think these are really cool things that you can master. They will absolutely help everything later. And then the rest is gymnastic training and time and focus and coordination and diligence. So I hope that helps. And uh, yeah, let me know. As usual, join me in Dressage Naturally Land Facebook group. And that's a great place to leave a comment or start a conversation about this or any of the podcasts. If this episode resonates with you, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Training horses is a long game. The more you listen, the more pieces of the puzzle you'll have. To see all your learning resources, visit dressagenaturally.net. That's where you'll find free videos, online courses, my book. You can sign up for my Wednesday Wisdom email or even book a private consult. Most of all, remember, you got this. Never underestimate the possibility for things to improve in ways you cannot yet imagine. Till next time, love your horse, move in harmony, and enjoy the process.